Welcome to Safe Brave Stories, a podcast to encourage each of us to unlock and release our potential through enabling safe, brave spaces. My name is Greg Smith. And I'm Ola, and we're your hosts for today's dialogue. Hey, Ola, how's it going today? Oh, pretty good. I, I had a good, coming back from work earlier this morning, I was able to get rested, and I'm excited about starting working out at the white. Wow. Good for you. We're getting back into that healthy aspect. I, I have my elliptical in the basement and I, it, it, I've just got back from two weeks vacation. So there's a fair amount of cobwebs on it. I've got to get back into it because I have a little of a barbecue addition, uh, from uh, vacation that I need to, I need to get rid of. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, that's awesome. Well, we're very excited. Uh, we had a little pre-session with our guest today, Tim, and he shared that that he's launching in in the continent, and uh, Ola is very excited. Very yeah. excited. Yeah. So <laughs> we'll we'll probably talk a little bit about that. But let me just kind of set us up in that uh, in each podcast uh, we meet individuals who are on this uh, safe, brave spaces journey and hear their stories and learn from each other's experiences. And our hope is to through those stories to really share insights and uncover ideas that will help us as we release our potential through what we're calling Safe Brave Spaces. And uh, um, Safe Brave Spaces really comes out of a book that I published in the springtime. And uh, when I talk about Safe Brave Spaces, uh, what I discovered through uh, my research and through my own personal experiences is when I felt both safe and brave, these were moments that I actually released my most of my potential. Um, I, I had meaningful impact and I really felt in flow when I was experiencing those environments. And when I, when I talk about safe, I talk about when I slowed down, when I reconnected with who I am and, and, and gained trust and confidence in the gifts that I can bring forward and recognize that I actually have a unique contribution to make um, that's when I feel safe. And when I feel brave, it's when I step out. It's when I've been given an opportunity, sometimes a nudge, to actually step into something that's a little uncomfortable, but taking me forward into what I'm trying to do. And when I found myself in environments where both safe and brave were enabled, man, powerful things happened and, and uh, within myself. And as a result of that, in my relationships and the communities that I'm a part of, um, and so as I wrote the book, we began talking to people about this concept, and they began sharing their stories. And it might have not been used of the word safe and brave, but the concepts were very close. So we said, Ola and I had conversations, we said, we, we should talk to people and share these stories. And this is where we're at with regards to this uh, podcast. So we are super excited to welcome today Tim Masson, who is the Chief Steward and CEO for Ian Martin Limited. And um, I, have, uh, I have a little bit of your bio, and I'm going to turn it over to Ola. I got a little bit of your bio, but I do have an inside scoop because I will tell folks that my son actually works at Ian Martin. And oh my goodness, you have a, a champion and excited, and I've seen him come to life and release his potential through the environment that you've created. But we'll talk about that in a sec. So in your LinkedIn, it says you are a self-professed IT nerd and Great Lakes surfer. 
Uh, that in itself is kind of cool and interesting. We'll have to dive maybe into that. Chief Steward and CEO of Ian Martin Group. Um, Ian Martin Group connects people in meaningful work through the recruitment business. The company has grown threefold during your time as CEO and is ranked number two on the list of Canadian best places to work. Jensen will be uh, one of those people that will uh, definitely, uh, you know, there's one thing to have these best place to work things and it's a paper exercise. The power is in when you talk to people who are there. And I can tell you that people do believe that. Through your work, Tim has developed a passion for helping 20th century companies navigate the culture change required to move into the next century of disruption, innovation, stakeholder returns, and self-management. And actually, over my holidays, I read a book called Lead Together, um, uh, The Bold, Brave, Intentional Path to Scaling Your Business by a friend of mine, Brent Lowe, and a couple of other authors. And your, your organization is all over that. Uh, every section is, here's what you guys are trying. Here's what you've done. So uh, we are excited mm -hmm. about having you here, Tim, and really just having a conversation of, of your journey and, and what you're learning. So with that long intro, I'm going to turn it over to Ola to dive into some of the questions. But welcome, Tim. Thank you. Thank you so much, team, for coming on our podcast. Greg, it, it wasn't that long a bio, uh, but it was really, really, it resonates with me, basically. And um, I'm going to go straight into the questions, so I don't waste any more time. But before we go, go into our conversation about uh, safe, brave uh, spaces, telling our stories of being safe and brave, I'd be glad, Tim, if you could share a little bit more about uh, what your what your organization does and mm. your role as the chief steward and CEO. That's in itself is an interesting uh, title, chief steward. What does that really mean? Yeah. Okay. Well, what is, maybe I'll start with that. Like, um, I think stewardship for me, the simple definition of stewardship is caring for things you don't own as if they were yours. So, you know, I think we all, none of us own the environment, but should we be caring for it better as if we did? Like, should we, should, or, or do we just treat it in a way, oh, that's, you know, where I can, you know, dump my carbon emissions or my, you know, um, uh, excess waste or, or whatever. Um, you know, um, yeah, I mean, caring for our neighborhoods, our communities, the people, you know, the people that live across the street, caring for, you know, what's happening with them as much as uh, you care for yourself. And you don't own um, what's going on with, with, with those folks, but you, I think if you, you know, I, I, we've tried to cultivate um, the idea of stewardship at our organization as like taking care of, um, taking ownership of something, um, taking care of it, um, you know, as if, as if you, as if you, you know, you owned it completely. Um, and, uh, yeah, so I think that's, that's, we, it's a, it's a value that we have at our company. And, um, I just sort of, I think that, uh, you know, why is it part of my title? I just, it just seemed like a, something that's important to everyone in our business. And, you know, people are always saying, instead of, I own this initiative, like I'm stewarding this initiative, I'm taking this on, I'm, I'm, you know, we need to find a steward for this thing or that thing. Um, and so it's just, uh, it's just an important part of our culture and uh, a way of doing things. And so CEO seems less relevant or less important than chief steward, but you know, um, yeah, so that's, that's there. Um, I think Ola, you asked also a little bit about Ian Martin, like, did you just want general background on the company and yes. sort of what we do? 
Yeah. Okay. Yes. So, I mean, to be simple, um, we we like we we're in the recruiting space, so we assist organizations um, with their recruiting. Most of the time, we hire and employ people on our payroll, and then they work for other companies. So, in contract roles, um, we currently work. We operate in uh, the U.S. and Canada. That's where most of our clients are. Um, and we have about 5,000 people working on contracts through our organization, um, doing different kinds of projects and, and work um, uh, at many, many different clients. Um, we also have our own, our own internal offices, um, our recruiting teams and whatnot are based in the US and in Canada. Um, we also have uh, two offices, pretty large offices in India. And, and I think I mentioned to you before, we're, we're just starting a new office in Ghana that we've, we've just kind of initiated that in the last little bit over the last couple of months. So um, super excited. Uh, it's been an amazing journey to be able to kind of be more of a global company and figure out how to integrate um, you know, different cultures and, and, and um, different mindsets into kind of one organization that's um, you know, operating together. So. That's our, that's our company. It's the company's actually been around. Um, so my grandmother was one of the two co-founders of the business. The reason it's called Ian Martin is that her business partner was, um, was Ian. And uh, then um, my, my dad um, uh, bought the business, worked with them for a number of years, bought the business in the mid eighties, ran the company for, uh, you know, until 2010, 2011. Um, you know, and at that stage I was, I, Greg, in my bio, my profile, it says I'm an IT nerd. Like I, I was running a, a software development business separately, um, you know, doing, doing my own thing. Um, I never, I never dove into the recruiting company because, you know, recruiting itself is a very extroverted activity. And I'm just knowing my own, uh, I think, you know, internal sort of safe, brave space. I, you know, I, I'm an introvert and I just didn't relish the idea of being on the phone kind of talking to you know person after person all day and, and which is part of the recruiting process and so I love you know um, major projects major initiatives um, particularly ones uh, particularly in tech and so that's kind of what I was doing but my um, uh, my dad um, my dad's health declined in in um, about a decade ago and and you know as a family we needed to kind of figure out which direction to go and the big decision process about whether to get involved in the business or not, um, or help my parents sort of find a way to transition it and move on. Um, and uh, yeah, it's, a, it's been a big part of my story and, and a, a you know, big part of learning to become a steward uh, over the last 10 years in, in getting involved um, and uh, some of the things that we've done since then. Yeah, Tim, if you don't mind, before I go to the next question, I just wanted to do a follow-up question to, you know, now that, uh, you are in this direction. I'm just curious to know if being a B Corp kind of organization uh, has been in the story when you were not in charge or it was when you got there that you decided to go that route. Mm -hmm. Yeah, a lot of the changes like we, so <clears throat> um, the company today has about 450 employees. At the time we had about uh, 100, 110, 120. And um, but, you know, my little organization that I was running outside the company had, you know, five people associated with it. And um, it, it, when I, when I kind of, when the opportunity came up to decide whether to get involved in the business or not, I, I, I really looked at what's important to me in my life. And um, I think the idea that you guys have really been cultivating here around creating safe, brave spaces is something that I experienced um, 
in a volunteer organization that I was working in sort of during university. Um, and I ended up, you know, leading teams of, of um, volunteers, you know, up to 70, 80 people and kind of creating an environment where people can feel safe and be brave and operate, you know, experience the work that needs to get done on the basis of kind of intrinsic motivation. Um, and thrown into that organization was also um, an idea that at the time we called servant leadership. Um, and so those ideas were, I think, transformational for me as a young person, like in my early 20s, and, and really core to, I think, a positive experience of life. And so when this opportunity came up to, to join, I mean, I had no industry experience and honestly no credible background to lead me to be the, the CEO of a recruiting company. Um, but I eventually I thought it was too valuable an opportunity for me to be able to, it was still, you know, a really positive culture and environment, but I thought that we could kind of take it to the next level. Um, and that, you know, the, the service that I could do, the benefit, the value that I could bring to the business would be for the 100 or 110 people that were working at the company to get a chance to experience you know, what it would be like to work in a safe, brave space to, you know, I had a belief that 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 didn't, it couldn't be only like I'd experienced it existing in a volunteer based organization and then in a not for profit environment. But I, I thought for sure we can create or cultivate the same kind of atmosphere in a business um, and still get our work done and be effective and potentially even, you know, the hope was in the future, even be more effective as a business. And as it turns out over the last decade, it's been quite a, a long process to implement that. We became a B Corp. We've, you know, looked at some other things I'm sure we'll talk about around, you know, how to create safe, brave spaces and eventually, um, you know, adopting a model, uh, uh, management model called self-management, which really, you know, enables people to kind of create those at, a, at those spaces at a, a systems level within the organization. Um, but all of that was sort of, you know, with the hope that it would both be really great for the people that work at the company and also you know in the long run good for business and that thesis is now a decade later really been playing out in the last couple of years but it was a it was a long haul to 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 get there and to kind of keep faith i would say in like in in those principles um you know in some of the earlier years where um it wasn't obvious that that those principles were going to help you know the business with business results even if it, we were creating a good environment for people so um yeah, it's been a it's been a long journey, but yes, Ola, to answer your question, we became a B Corp and all of these kind of things. Really, to do some of those things and have an opportunity to do some of those things and bring those ideas into a business environment was kind of my main motivation for um, kind of putting up my hand and saying, you know, I'd like to take a crack at this job. Hmm. Amazing story there. Um, I know you've talked to you know, quite a number about different things with regards to, you know, uh, the idea of safe race spaces, but amongst all of those things, what is probably the thing that resonates with you, uh, the most in all of those things, I, I, like what's the most for me, for instance, it was when I found out that I could really be present in my life other than, you know, following everybody back and forth what resonates the most as true for you in these whole idea of safety spaces? Um, yeah, I think what I connect to 
maybe this is this is less personal and more kind of business practical, um, uh, maybe. And but what I really connect to in the idea of safe gray spaces is two things. I think um, in our company, we've we've in order for our operating model to be functional, we've had to um, we've had to train people on the idea of holding things together in healthy tensions. And I think often people might think safe and brave are opposites. You know, Greg, I think you were talking about this when we, we first met today, but actually by holding them together is kind of where you start to find that flow state. Or, you know, I mean, you might think of, if you think of your, um, I don't know, working out or whatever, you know, activity and rest, those seem like opposites, but if you kind of, if you do one to the exclusion of the other, you'll be exhausted. And it doesn't matter which one you pick, you end up in the wrong spot. But if you can kind of hold them in a healthy tension in your life, things accelerate and move forward. And so a huge part of, um, of what we teach uh, people when they come into our organization is, is this idea of managing healthy tensions. And, um, and I think, you know, being able to create a space that's, you know, both safe and brave um, or create space for, for, for both things is, is really, really important. The other thing I think, um, that Safe Brave Spaces connects directly to is um, some uh, research that came out of Google, um, I think five or six years ago, um, which has been much talked about. Um, you know, Google set off to, uh, um, you know, look at every possible data point, thousands of data points and determine like, what is it that makes high performing teams? That was kind of the question they had. Obviously they have business reasons for, for, for doing that research. And after looking, they thought, okay, you know, it's going to be a combination of the equal balance of, you know, X number of engineers and such a number of, you know, HR people and this many financial people or, you know, different skills or different, you know, all the different, and they, when they boiled the research down and they did this, um, you know, with Harvard Business School, I think in, in concert, um, they were, they found that um, uh, the main thing that the, the fundamental characteristic that separated health, uh, high performing teams from not high performing teams was what they called psychological safety. Um, and psychological safety is, is the, the ability then, why is that so important? Because then people are able to be real and to take risks, right? Like to try new things and to innovate and to do, so that it really this idea of, of psychological safety that Google found is the key to high performing teams was, was the idea of teams being safe, and, 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 and because they're safe, it's a place for people to kind of be brave and to try and to innovate and, and move things forward. Um, and so, I mean, I think it really resonates for me as something, and we've, we've sort of adopted that Google research and we've tried to find many ways to kind of weave that into the fabric of our company and the way our teams operate, the way our meetings operate and the way, like all kinds of stuff. Um, but I think it's just it's just so fundamental to to um, to healthy teams um, to, to to create spaces that are both safe and brave, um, and I think that's that's really a piece that that resonates. Yeah, I really resonate with uh, the idea of a balance of safe and brave. You know, uh, Greg and I and some of the guests we've had have always talked about this balance, and you know that's why I love. Uh, how Greg brings out these old safe, brave thing. One not not neglecting, showing the importance of both and not going to an extreme on the two hands. I, for instance, I've been a part of an organization that was on the brutal brave 
And, you know, going through some of the uh, coaching that Greg has, you know, helped me with, I also know that you can be on an extreme safe and that's good. And so I resonate with, with, with what you talked mm -hmm. about when you talked about that balance so much. And now, what are the experiences that you've had in your life which uh, you can allude to that has enabled you to unlock and release your potential? For, for, for me, for instance, it was some of the horrible experiences I went through that brought me to a very low place. And Greg had a similar experience. We've had guests who talked about the importance of family. Earlier, earlier when we were talking earlier, I, I mentioned some of the guests have talked about, um, you know, uh, what they got at a kitchen table, for instance. So what for you enabled you to unlock and release your potential? I know you may talked about a not-for-profit, but, you know, generally, what are the things? It could be a, um, sorry, sorry, Tim, so that I, I don't, I, I know I rambled a bit, but I wanted to be able to, you know, get the question right. The, the second part of it that could help to answer the question is that, uh, is there a person who enabled this and in what environment did I exist? Yeah, um, I think that uh, it, in that nonprofit environment, um, you know, I was, we were working volunteering together um, at a summer camp and uh, the director, the guy who volunteered, uh, I should say a couple who volunteered as the director for five years when I was kind of working there through high school and university. Um, and, uh, you know, that the, 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 um, the leaders, one of the leaders, his name was Ernie and, uh, and Ernie was someone who wanted us to innovate. Um, and I think, you know, the kind of innovation, the degree to which he wanted to kind of push innovation, um, the degree to which we were bringing, you know, um, technology and all kinds of, um, you know, media and, uh, and, and um, narrative into, you know, a week-long summer camp program for kids to keep them kind of connected and um, sort of tuned into what was going on at camp. You know, there was, there was the outdoor activities and all the things, but bringing that narrative in so that almost they felt like they were in a, a live movie or the Truman Show or something like that, like, a, like, and really just creating an engaging and immersive experience for kids was a direction um, that, had people had dabbled with a little bit and I think he really wanted to further and what I felt it at the time in the environment sort of the senior management actually it was quite a controversial uh uh thing to bring more technology and more of this more of this engaging narrative style into camp because you know they were sort of like it was the old school like camp should be about yeah. you know going you know going out sailing and it was but kids were changing you know and the environment was changing and um and we needed to still have kids at camp and have them go out sailing but we they needed to be engaged in a different way and so um i think he identified that myself and a couple of friends were willing to try stuff and sort of innovate but i really felt like he, um, there, there was sort of senior, more senior leadership that was opposed to this direction. Um, and I felt the biggest thing he did, I wouldn't have known this phrase at the time, but like I, I call, now I hear it's like he held the shit umbrella. So like he just kind of kept all that like stuff that was like, you know, up in opposition or opposing or resistant to the innovation that we were doing. And he just kept it away and said, you guys keep doing what you're doing, like I've got your back. And, um, you know, I think he was so encouraging 
And I always remember like we tried lots of experimental kind of things um, that were a lot of them were very successful and some of them were like complete failures. Like one time we had this theme where we, we said, okay, like this is going to be an underwater like Atlantis theme. And, you know, we're going to kind of make the, the dining hall feel like it's sinking underwater. Right. And I had this idea and like, I'm like, okay, I got to hack this together with Home Depot. And I've got like these hoses that are going to spray water and the dining hall is going to feel like, and literally like, you know, the kids are like, why is there water spraying on the windows? Like it didn't seem at all like we had succeeded in, you know, in, in sinking the dining hall, which is the idea. Wow. And, um, but he was always positive and encouraging. And there's other times when it was a Star Wars theme and we literally had like a flying Millennium Falcon or Back to the Future. And we literally had like a live DeLorean disappear. And the kids were like, wow, like, so some of these things we were able to execute on uh, and create a sense of, of kind of reality and narrative and space that that just was magical for kids like you know felt like christmas or santa claus and you know stuff um but some of the things were so bad <laughs> and, and yet he was still um uh incredibly sort of encouraging and and sort of you know creating the space for us to continue to push forward and you know pushing back like literally at one point the person more senior than him said you know, like we, all this has got to stop. And who is this guy, Tim? And what are all these things he's doing? Like, we've got to shut it, shut down all this technology and, um, you know, video and film and, you know, special effects and all this stuff that we can't come into this environment. And he literally said to that more senior person, like, all that's fine. Ultimately, it's your decision. But if you fire this team of people that's doing this work, I'm going to, because this is a huge part of my vision. And wow. so knowing that, I had that level of backing um, really created a space um, for, for, for me and the people I was working with to kind of innovate. And we worked 20 hours a day to try to, to try to create, um, you know, this amazing experiences for kids. Um, but it, it wouldn't, I mean, certainly at 17, 18, 19, 20 years old, like I was able to experiment and try things and push myself to, to achieve things that, you know, I, like I never would have had the opportunity to do without that, that covering of, of that shit umbrella that he was, he was holding for us. So it was pretty amazing. That's, that's incredible. Uh, and you know what, what's interesting. I think my kids may have gone to that camp. I'm not hundred percent sure it's the same camp. Yeah. However, which is funny because my son's not working for your organization. So maybe there is an instilled spill out effect of innovation and creativity yeah. and pilot. And I want to go there in a second, but it, the the camp that my kids went to, you remember when they had the uh, blackout of across North America with regards yeah. there, the the camp that they were at, they were in this fantastical where the, the evil person was going to shut down the power. And when they shut down the power and as part of the play and the experience, the actual power went down. So my kids never, they thought it was a part of the camp. So whether that was your creativity at that point, <laughs> doing that one or not, but it was about really uh, expanding the creativity, the creating the, the, the deeper immersion of the idea, which is pretty safe. So I don't know if that was the same camp that you were a part of, Tim, but uh, um, I suspect it might have been. So I loved that, uh, that, that story and such an impactful uh, moment for you um, and I'm assuming others and if it is the same camp there are a lot of leaders that came out of that camp 
people mm. that are now leading in different organizations and different things. Um, and it's amazing the ripple effect mm. of one brave soul who has a vision and creates safe, brave spaces for folks to try and to fail. I'm thinking the water thing is right. hilarious. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, pretty powerful. Yeah, it was, um, it was pretty, pretty amazing. Yeah, parents, I mean, this is an aside, but parents would always ask me, you know, like, um, or often parents will say, like, you know, my kid needs to get a summer job, my kid needs a co-op to go through university, like, then they'll get a job when they get into university. And I was like, I agree, like, your kid will get an easier job, or get a job more easily when they finish university, if, um, you know, if they, if they do co-op in the summer instead of working at camp. But I said, like, I'm 32 and I'm like, I know, you know, it's crazy, but I, I know how to be the CEO of an organization with 100 people and I shouldn't know how to do that. And I, and I know it because, um, you know, I had the opportunity to kind of lead teams of like, you know, 70 and 80 people when I was 22 years old. And, and I didn't, I couldn't say to them, like, you know, I'm, I'm going to, if you, you know, if you don't, if you don't clean the shower, I'm going to fire you because they were volunteers. Like, so you, you have to kind of weave it into like, this is all part of the bigger, like a, a more, a, a story that's bigger than, than, than just us as individuals and, you know, the kind of um, crappy work that we sometimes had to do. So I think that, um, you know, learning how to lead and motivate on the basis of intrinsic motivation, learning that, you know, as Dan Pink said, like in drive, like now the behavioral research is kind of caught up, right? Like we, the whole kind of corporate philosophy that that the way to motivate people is carrots and sticks um you know most of business still operates that way um but what behavioral science has shown is that it's actually not effective um and that intrinsic motivation you know dan pink calls it uh, says the three components are autonomy mastery and purpose and those are the things we had in that environment um and those are you know we, we those are those are the things that I learned to lead in that in an environment that focus that kind of cult, cultivated or curated those things, um, and I think that is that is a safe, brave space. And and it's it's when people are able to do their work because they're intrinsically motivated to do it. Like they, I think you know, knowledge workers. It like the research proves that knowledge workers do you know two three times better work um, when when they're um, when they're intrinsically as opposed to extrinsically motivated. So, yeah, yeah it's, uh, I'd, love to, I'd love to switch to taking that experience because a couple of things you said through this dialogue, one is like uh, allowed you to try things and pilot things and going forward. And my, what I understand of even some of the things you've done at Ian Martin is you haven't said, we are going to B Corp. We are going to self-directed. It's like, this is an idea. Let's try it. Let's learn from it. Let's grow from it and evolve. But I'd love you to just kind of pick the one or two things that you feel most um, proud might not be the word, but excited about at Ian Martin that's really helped. As you said, it's been a journey. It's not a, a flip, flick the switch kind of thing. Uh, but what are the kind of one or two things that you've um, uh, 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 tried and it's been the success. You may even tell us the things that, that didn't work, <laughs> the uh, water stories at, uh, at Ian Martin, but maybe let's start with the things that are the, that, that you really feel um, excited about and, and had impact towards this vision. Yeah, well, <clears throat> I think when I talk about 
create like when I think about creating safe brave spaces I think that so much of that is probably normally left up to just the manager um and so like you know a team within an organization like Google might have a you know a safe brave space that's creating psychological safety because the manager is cultivating or curating that environment and holding the shit umbrella like this guy Ernie that was doing for me um like that's well and good but I think there's other things beyond that at organizations that create sort of you know fear and distrust and and um don't allow people to be brave and you know those are things like um you know somebody else they them you know my manager someone is in control of you know um whether i get fired whether i what my compensation is like all these other things that if you were a business owner an entrepreneur you would kind of decide for yourself or i would call it instead you would earn for yourself so you know you have clients, you have customers, you know, if you're creating value, um, you can increase your earnings if you're mm -hmm. a business owner or an entrepreneur. And so, yeah, so, so I think what I think I'm proud of at Ian Martin is we've been able to create um, a structure or a system that has taken away that kind of coercive power. Like one person has power, kind of like arbitrary decision power over me and you know can decide if i'm doing a good job or a bad job and if i get paid this or if i get fired today or not um and and we've been able to create you know a, a framework an architecture within the business that that gives everyone um the power and authority to make those decisions for themselves and a process by which they need to kind of consult their peers or consult other people um you know that are impacted by what they do and what their decisions are um so we could, I mean, we, I don't know how I could even screen share and show you a little bit about what that architecture looks like, but I think I'm, I'm really proud that we've been able to create uh, quite a functional operating system that um, removes this idea of hierarchy that's so deeply embedded into our organizational structures and instead has our organization operating like a network um, where people, you know, they are creating value for one another, connect and, you know, they work together um, and they work out kind of their their mutual agreements, um, and uh, and so that's that's how we we function um, in it now. And it's taken a long time to make that transition, but that that's kind of where we've gotten to. And and I think that um, structurally, then we teach we've built in practices, and we teach um, you know even practices for meetings and stuff like that 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 help make sure that that spaces are safe and brave, even if you know we don't have a a hero leader you know who's perfect at holding the shit umbrella for everyone else like it doesn't doesn't it the system doesn't depend on that um to the same extent and and so that that's that's kind of the piece i think i'm i'm proud of yeah and you know what's interesting because uh, often when people think of self-directed teams teal is another term that folks on our podcast might be aware of uh going forward people get freaky because they think, well, how can we actually do this with regard to it? It's, given, it's a free-for-all. Um, but in fact, as you said, you have built really strong processes. And in the best organizations that I've seen have done it, really strong uh, frameworks for people to own their own destiny in a, while shepherding and stewarding the success of the organization. Um, 
I remember when my son came home and said, uh, you know, I've been here for a couple of years and I really think it's, uh, it's time for me to have a salary review. And I'm going to put together, a, 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 I can't remember what it's called, a review process. Yeah, it's called a compensation advice process. Conversation advice process. He went and did research in the marketplace. He created uh, a summary of what he'd taken on new and learned more work than anything I've ever seen, but grounded him in in who he was and, and what he felt. And then he went through the process. And in that process, there were different viewpoints and there, were, there was some crunchiness during some of the dialogue, but, but there was a respectful crunchiness in that, okay, why do you think that way? What, why is that your perspective? What can you do to inform me? And then it went through, it was like, you know, and I'm a, I'm a, I've been in traditional organizations for a long time, but you know, I've always been kind of a more of a broad thinker about this as well, still in the hierarchy and some of those things, but it was pretty powerful to see that happen and how he owned. And even most recently, he said to me, what he loves about Ian Martin is the fluidity and the flexibility that he has um, and the trust level that exists is, is hard to match in other places. So you have definitely, you feel good about um, that, uh, the things that you've created. Are, are yeah, there... I think if you want, well, if you, if you want people to take ownership, you have to give up control. You know what I mean? Mm. Like it's a little like, and it's so hard as humans, I think for us to give I up can totally tweet to that scene. Else, right? What, yeah. what so, you just said, yeah. I can totally yeah. tweet it. Sorry to jump in. I, yeah. so if you want ownership, you have to give up control. That is so phenomenal. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, no, I think that's, that's, that's it. I think that's the thing, you know, managers or leaders of companies or business owners, like they say, I want my people to just, why aren't they taking ownership? It's like, because like you, and again, this is another tension to manage. You, like at some level as a leader, you need to kind of take 100% responsibility and 100% delegate, right? Like, and that's a difficult tension to manage. But if you, if you don't, figure that out like it, like if you you don't get you know again greg the experience that jensen had and many people have had like they take ownership for their own compensation um getting advice getting perspective getting research instead of just like well hr just told me that's the numbers so that's like i don't know i can't do anything about it and then i'm gonna just bitch and moan about hr like you know like so like it's they them they did it to me like it's all you know and that's it doesn't lead to responsibility taking so um, if, if, if you can kind of, you know, give people, extend the trust um, and, and the control to people, then people take ownership. Um, and, uh, you know, it's kind of, but it, I think so many people, so many leaders, managers, business owners, they want people to take ownership, but they're not willing um, to give up control. Yeah. Is there, is there a time when, what was hardest for you in this journey? Because uh, you're already kind of open and more, you've seen the impact and that type of thing. But was there anything that was hard for you along the journey of 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 becoming a full steward per se and helping to to move that forward? Uh, yeah, I think there was a lot of hard, like when when I started in the business, the company wasn't it wasn't it wasn't in horrible shape, but it wasn't in good shape, um, and that's because 
but my dad's health had declined for a while. And so there's a lot of things that needed to get done and needed to get improved. So that like the um, sort of not, yeah, sort of rocky business results like made it difficult to, at the same time, people would say, hey, like, you know, what's all this like, you know, not controlling or allowing people to make decisions or, you know, like, like they're, they might make bad decisions and we, you know, the company will fall apart. And I think it was, it was really hard. There was some like real gut check moments, um, you know, uh, uh, where it, it felt like we needed to abandon this path or this course that we were on. Um, I think it's partly because we, we started from a place that the business wasn't on, it was always on a bit tentative footing um, as we went along. And, um, you know, we've been able to get to the place where we have our feet under us. So that's been, that's been really great. I think also like, I mean, early on, I think we, um, the hardest, probably the hardest moment, and, you know, Ola, you, you talked about kind of some experiences of, um, you know, I had, I had some experiences of sort of like, you know, panic attacks and anxiety and whatnot that I think mostly stemmed from um, in the first or second year, we sort of, we had started talking about, we weren't moving towards this idea of self-management yet, but, we, you know, becoming a B Corp and all that stuff, a lot of excitement and energy. We, you know, we're like, oh, we're going to expand. We hired a bunch of people and we didn't get the growth that we had sort of optimistically thought we would. Um, and we ended up, you know, needing to retrench. The company went from sort of 120, 110, 120 to 150 employees. And we couldn't afford those investments we made. So we were like, we had said, we're going to be a B Corp and we're going to do all these great things and we're going to operate differently. And we kind of got into a phase, um, you know, within my second year where, um, you know, we, over a period of six months, we, we parted ways with um, uh, probably 20 or 30 people. And some of those were, were really difficult, um, you know, um, moments, you know, people just, there was a lot of, just a lot of yeah bad bad vibes um during that time and i you know i certainly felt like we weren't we weren't at all achieving what i had hoped we would when i when i kind of optimistically took the role and you know thought we're going to be a b corp we're going to be all these things and certainly felt like a hypocrite like we weren't walking the walk and yet at the same time we had overextended ourselves. We'd made some bad business decisions and invested too quickly and invested in some things that weren't smart and, and we needed to undo those things. And so that, you know, the, that led to some, some really difficult moments for sure. And how did yeah. you get through it? What, what were the, you know, what were your ways? Cause that is hard, but as yeah. Ola and I have both described, sometimes it's in those dips that, that um, we either learn well or we're surrounded, we, we understand who's with us kind of thing um, as community. So I'm not sure if there's any insights that you learned through there. Well, I, you know, and I think this has been my, my disposition all the way along. Like I, I, I hear a lot, I hear CEOs and business leaders say, well, like I, it's a lonely position because I can't talk to anyone else about what's going on. And I just never took that approach. Like I, I think we were trying to create a safe and brave organization. So I, like I said to some of my, you know, my colleagues, not everyone in the company, but you know, the five or six people I was working most closely with to lead the business. I said, like, I shared with them, like, 
I'm experiencing anxiety and panic attacks and I'm getting triggered in like these specific circumstances and I need help. Like I, I, I need to put myself in those circumstances at time as the leader of the company, but here's how you could help me and how we could accommodate and how sometimes we could make it so that I'm not in those circumstances. And honestly, I think with, with that specific um, thing and, you know, working through some of my own mental health issues, like I, uh, it probably took me like four or five years of, of kind of, you know, like what do you call that CBT exposure therapy, cognitive, like slowly exposing myself to those circumstances. So I got more comfortable. Um, and, uh, um, you know, and I think also increasing sort of success and starting to see that some of the things that we were working towards, yeah, I think at those low moments though, too, like, I mean, I just use the phrase gut check, but that really means like looking yourself, like taking that time alone for me and just sort of saying like, at the end of the, like, what choice am I going to make? Like, is it, it, what choice can I live with making? Like, I have a philosophy and I've recruited everyone to kind of, you know, go in a certain direction as a business and to, you know, and I can abandon that philosophy because we're having like, you know, a temporary moment. Um, and I don't know, as a you know, third generation steward of this business, like I, I could be the one that thinks it because I've brought in these philosophies and yet I believe it's right. And so, you know, I can either, like, I think there's that moment as well where you just look at yourself and say like, which outcome can I live with? Like the business fails and, but I, I stuck to my values or, um, you know, I abandoned my values and the business started succeeding or still failed. Like, cause it, I think I was able to also separate out that it, although people were pointing to, you know, our operating model and the values as something that could, could be a cause, like, like it really wasn't like, it was just bad business performance. And, you know, like we needed, we needed to improve some of our like sales processes and like practical things that you need to do in business that we, we weren't, we weren't doing at a level of excellence at that time. And it literally had nothing to do with, um, you know, the way we were trying to operate the company. So, and in, in hindsight, sticking to that, like, you know, COVID came and our business performance has been like our, our bottom line this year is, you know, six, seven X what it was before COVID. Um, like it's been, you know, and, and it's a big part of that is because we, instead of, in COVID, you know, all of a sudden everything is changing, right? And so because of the way we operate, you know, there's 450 CEOs of, you know, individual areas within the company that people are looking at and saying, we said the, the key thing, the core thing that we need to do right now is look at how do we pivot? How do we adapt? How do we change? How do we, and each person and make your own decisions about what's best. And we were able to dramatically improve the company's performance in the last year and respond to um, projects and demands that came up in the market in a way that I don't think we could have if we weren't organized this way. And so in the end, it's, it's all of this investment has, has really been um, valuable, but I think it took some, it took a level of um, a person, like personal and individual commitment on behalf of not just me, but many of the leaders of the company to sort of see it through and get to the point where it was, it was functional and, and, and um, was able to positively affect, you know, business results as well as a lot of other things. And, you know, again, we're ultimately, we want to be a great place um, where people experience a positive work environment. That's probably more important than business results. And that's a big part as well of having that 
sense of purpose is, is another reason I think we were able to kind of stick to it is, you know, it wasn't worth selling our soul <laughs> to succeed. I I love that. There's so many great points with regard. The couple that I want to highlight is one is knowing who you are, what you believe in, and what you stand for as a foundation. I just I just did a webinar uh, two hours ago, and a couple of the key takeaways were know yourself and know what you believe in, know what you stand for, and really have that as a core guiding point, whether it's values, whether it's purpose, and those type of things. The other point that I shared was the learning to let go and open up. Um, and, and it's, it's this work that Bernie Brown's doing around vulnerability and the power of actually saying, and to your point, not to everybody, she tells the story of, of the, she did a vulnerability, uh, speech and, uh, IT, uh, lead came and said, oh man, I, I that was so amazing. I'm going to go tell all the people that I think our company's falling apart and I don't know what I'm doing. And that, she said, whoa, 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 whoa. She says, vulnerability within an inner circle, you know, that's, yeah. that's where it is. But what you did talk about there was to say, hey, this is where I, what I'm going through. That in itself opens up safe space to say, oh, it's okay to not be perfect. So many people talk about how my face looks good, good, but I'm falling apart inside. How do you within that community kind of bring it forward? Um, the last point I want to share is I'm glad you brought up COVID is because and your growth by freeing people to have shared ownership for the organization. I know one point you had a, in your organization over COVID, you had a big new project where all hands were on deck. And my my son's in design and marketing. And, and for a week or two, he was interviewing uh, potential candidates to fulfill the business. Everybody did it. And it was, it was, like, it was like an exciting thing. It, you know, it was about, we're a part of this together and delivering this. And you know, he is more social. The frameworks were there. It was part of the process that you had. But it was like, whew, shift and pivot and to deliver and you got it, it helped that helped you move forward so that power is just so uh, important and so valuable and and again i saw it in action um for for being able to shift and move forward so that's pretty pretty awesome yeah i think that i remember like I, just it reminds me of a story uh of a book i read a long time ago about i think it was the ceo of southwest airlines and there was I don't know, you know, the airline industry, this wasn't a COVID thing. It was probably, you know, Y2K or something else. And they needed to kind of, uh, you know, basically cut back on um, uh, the number of hours that pilots would be flying. And, you know, the, the kind of external consultant was like coming up with all these like basically manipulative ways to send out the message. And um, the CEO, and they, they curated a, a really positive and trusting environment over the years. And the CEO said, like, I'm, I'm just going to email them, like, and tell them, like, we need to, we're all in this together. This is a moment, like, and, you know, like, we're, we're going to try to work it out so that it, it, you know, we do the best for as many as we can um, in terms of how. And I think the consultant who had experienced environments only at other airlines was like, that will never work. Like, it's impossible. And he's like, no, like, and he did it. And everyone's like, it's, it was fine, you know, and I think it's sort of similar to what you're talking about is, this year we've been able to say a couple of times like wow we have this you know massive thing here this massive thing there that we just need everyone in the company to to help with right now um and they were you know some projects you know kind of of national interest and and uh really really significant um uh 
from a, a just from a, a purpose and an impact perspective and uh, we were kind of able to rally everyone around it with just you know kind of a short blog post <laughs> so um, I think it, it, it because we have this model where where people are able to kind of like we didn't force anyone to but we were able to kind of ask you know could you please support this and um, so many people kind of responded the same way that that Jensen did Wow, that and that's cool because I didn't know it was a short blog post. What I saw was the response, excitement, yeah. uh, together. Um, we're doing a we're doing an important piece of work that that collectively we can do. Is and that was the so you may have not heard those things because we've never talked about this, but that was the response to the culture you've created and 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 uh um uh, it's pretty pretty cool so i know we're uh we're moving fairly long on time so i do want to ask um two very quick questions one quick question is just as you've you know one of the things i talked to a group of leaders today around how do i in this time of shift and change reinforce uh fill myself back up strengthen my safe and brave in times of change and this has been a time of change. So are there any things from a, from a, that perspective that you have done over the past year that have been helpful in maintaining your safe, brave space internally um, uh, as, as you've gone through? Um, I think that, I think that, uh, I don't know if I've done a great job at that <laughs> this year. I think it's been like such a like, okay, focus, do stuff, you know, and um, we, I have an intention to, uh, I think that we, I have some thoughts about kind of the next, next big thing, um, you know, I want to tackle and, and uh, like I, years ago, um, we did this exercise at our company. This is sort of, you know, silliness, but uh, we all kind of figured out what what character from the Muppets we were most similar to. And, um, you know, I don't always show up this way at work, but probably at my core, I'm most like the character Gonzo, like the purple guy with the long nose. And I don't I don't actually feel that alive unless I'm sort of shooting myself out of a cannon like the like for art, like just something crazy. Like and so, you know, I have a couple of crazy ideas um, that that I that I, I'd like to pursue. And I think for me, what's neat about our organization, we have this process of getting consultation, sort of setting your role and getting consultation on your role and what you do called the role advice process. And there's a structured process to go through. So I think for me, you know, really in the last year, it's just been like hustling to try to support everyone as much as possible with all the things that, that, that are going on and that we could do um, and even support my family, we ended up deciding to relocate to support something my, my wife is kind of doing. So it's, I've just been kind of responding, I think, practically. And, and but I kind of have on the horizon, you know, um, something I want to tackle next. And I think I'm, I'm going to tackle it by, um, you know, sharing, sharing my crazy one or two ideas with the company and getting feedback from folks on, you know, should we resource these ideas? Should I put my time and focus and energy in, into, into those things, which are, kind of outside of the the core of the business and kind of more more like a next step um for us and and uh i'm i'm excited about the process of getting kind of input and 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 putting my crazy ideas out there as well and i do feel like our space 
is safe enough where I can kind of be brave and, and, and share those things and get some feedback and input. And if it's not the right moment, if you know, we have this idea around collective intelligence, if it's not, if the collective intelligence is saying, hey, it's not the right time yet, then that'll be okay. Um, but that's kind of the, that's where my intention is. Yeah, I love around, that. Uh, yeah. I love that. Well, I'm going to turn it back to Ola to maybe bring us home because uh, uh, this has been an awesome conversation. And, you know, I've, I've known you for a while. We kind of meet from time to time and that type of thing. And then I've, 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 I've seen what you've been doing through the eyes of my son and, and through others that are hearing. So it's so great, though, to kind of get behind it and to kind of share the stories of your journeys. And I know there's going to be a ton of people that are going to be able to pull really great insights and wanting to find out more about what you do. And we'll make sure that at the end, we, we uh, um, let folks know of how do you, how do you work for Ian Martin? Uh, how do you find out more about what you're doing, you know, and, uh, and, and learn from you? Because I do think more organizations are on this journey, but I'm going to turn over to Ola to kind of bring us home and, uh, and then we'll close out. But uh, uh, I'm going to have to preempt myself, Greg. I know I'm supposed to thank um, team after this one, but I want to thank him in my head for doing what he's doing because it's not just special. I think it's extra special. And I want to particularly thank you for staying the course, even when everybody pointed out the fact that, oh, some of these new ways of doing things, crazy ideas, is probably the reason why the company, the organization wasn't doing well. Thanks for staying through the course to to show and prove that that's not it it can work and probably even work better thing i'm glad i'm glad for the results you have but you know one of the things we do at this time is uh to give you an opportunity for a closing thought uh do you have anything in mind for closing thought i know i'm thinking of the future of work which i think you're gonna have another crazy idea about the future of work <laughs> yeah yeah um, I think, you know, I, like, I don't, um, as a closing thought, I guess, I guess what I think is that intrinsic motivation and kind of learning to lead our organizations on the basis of intrinsic motivation is, is, is just a really important skill, um, for, for leaders to develop. And I think, um, you know, just using Dan Pink's words, um, Intrinsic motivation comes from people experiencing autonomy, mastery, and purpose. Um, mastery, every company has, you know, people that experience mastery in their jobs. So that one's easy. Um, experiencing a sense of purpose, you know, what's the wider impact in the world? Companies have started to think about that. What's our social and environmental performance? You know, become a B Corp. There's, there's ways to start to integrate that stuff. The, the hardest thing is to start to think about in the context of an organization, how do we implement autonomy? How do we create an environment where it's safe and brave enough for people to think and behave like owners and entrepreneurs? Um, and so, you know, that, that's kind of the, we have this practice in our company we often try to end meetings with called share the love. But if there's sort of share the love that I want to share with your listeners with the world, like it's, you know, we've been able to kind of operationalize that idea of autonomy and, um, so, you know, we have resources. There's a, a website that we actually host. It's basically our internal operating system, but we have it online so that people can see it um, at it's teal.ianmartin.com. And um, I can even, I don't know. I know you guys want to wrap this up, but I could just 
let me sh let me let me just share what that looks like really quick. Oh, I can't. Can I share screen? Yep. Okay, I can't share screen. Yeah, and this um, is this is of audio anyways. So uh, okay, it's audio. That's fine. We won't we won't bother. But there you can kind of see, you know, the the it's really simple to implement this in your organization. Like our our whole operating system just starts with people noticing a problem or an opportunity, and then kind of testing it with a few other people to see if it's something worth spending time on. And then there's a couple of options for how they then own that thing that they see and kind of how they can move it forward. Um, and you just, we just run that loop over and over again. And so I think, you know, understanding that we and a few other companies around the world have kind of done the hard work of figuring out how to actually implement a practical system of autonomy in our organizations. And that, you know, that combined with the other things you're doing um, as an organization will really help you to um, engage people in taking ownership and feeling intrinsic motivation for their work. So, um, you know, I, that's, that's kind of what I, what I hope more people um, connect with and, and take away and start to start to um, take action on and to do. Um, and I think that, uh, you know, if more people that do that, the, the better the world will be. And then I think it'll make a big impact in, in the lives of employees and, you know, extend out into communities that they're a part of. So, um, wow. yeah, hopefully that's helpful. Greg, uh, I don't know, but this conversation has not just, not just been inspirational for me, but eye-opening because I didn't have any idea how a self-management environment will work until this conversation. It, I, because I was reading about the Teal community and all of that. But anyway, I don't know if what your closing thoughts are. No, I just love, and I love the openness and the um, abundance mentality that you have. The idea of going to this, going to the the, the website, which we'll include on the on the um, podcast um, uh, trailer, our, our site, um, to to learn. I mean, because you have worked through some things. Uh, it won't be. It's not that it's easy, easy, because it's hard to shift our mindsets into a different way, but it's, it's a straightforward process and it's about dialogue and it's about uh, tapping into the collective of the group. And, and again, I, I, the only thing I will say is I've seen the evidence um, uh, and, and, uh, uh, and it's a pretty powerful, um, uh, pretty powerful way of being. And I truly believe that it's the fullest expression of safe, brave spaces which is the words that I use, but the idea that you've described. And I just so appreciate you taking the time, um, sharing your journey, your vulnerability and sharing, uh, you know, both the good and the, and the challenges and what you're learning and how you're growing. And I wish you all the success of uh, uh, going forward. And I can't wait till we get to the stage where your gonzo idea is, is, is revealed. Um, and so uh, I hope and I get excited by what that could be um, and looking forward to hear more about it. Thank you guys. Thank you all and Greg. And team, thank you for starting up something in Africa. I'm super excited about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we are too. It's, uh, I think it's, it's going to be really wonderful. So. All right. So we hope that the stories that we shared today have been helpful and encouraging as you consider ways to enable safe, brave spaces within yourself and others. Um, if the idea of Safe Brave Spaces resonates, feel free to join the conversation, hear other stories, and access resources to support your personal journey at www.safebravespaces.com. Thanks so much, Tim, and have an amazing rest of the day.
You guys too. Thank you so much. All right. Bye-bye.